Good evening. Glad to see you here in person. Glad to have those of you who may be joining with us uh, online. Just know we're there on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, uh, and all those different resources that you see there. Uh, you can comment, share, heart, like those. Uh, YouTube, give us a thumbs up, subscribe there, click that little notification bell, and that'll let you know when we go live. Uh, there's also the phone live streaming. Uh, you can call the church office at 931-455-0645. We'll be glad to give you that toll-free number that you can call and subscribe, and then it'll automatically 
automatically call you each time. Uh, if you miss that call uh, and you're used to the other number, it'll, it'll show the new number on your ID uh, and you can just recall that number that was on your ID there. Uh, so uh, glad to have you with us today. If you will, just go over to Facebook, uh, or not to Facebook, to our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Uh, go there to the info tab. You can download today's worship bulletin. Has a lot of the events and things that are coming up. Want to invite you to come to Easter services. Uh, we're going to have sunrise service at 7 o'clock, breakfast following that. Then we'll have our Sunday school time and then regular service. Uh, and then we won't have evening service next Sunday. So uh, just be aware of that also. <clears throat> so uh, come and enjoy Easter services with us. Choir is going to be singing three songs. Uh, we do have practice this Wednesday night if you're with choir. Uh, this will be our last one before we sing. Uh, while you're there on the info tab, you can download the, the worship bulletins for kids. Uh, these go along especially with tonight's message. Uh, and then, uh, so I encourage you to take uh, an opportunity to download that. You can also share those links, copy paste it, uh, and share it with your friends. And then you can also download the prayer list. Uh, there as we'll be ready for that on Wednesday night, but you can be praying for those individuals uh, that are on the prayer list uh, that we have there. And then don't forget, uh, we're still uh, taking our offering for the North American Missions offering, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American Missions. Uh, so continue to pray about giving to that uh, as we seek to reach that goal uh, and uh, what a blessing it is for us to be a blessing to our missionaries. So Brother Mike, if you will come and lead us. Good evening. For those of you that are here, turn your hymnals to 18. You'll recognize some of the words, but not necessarily the music, because it's not one we sing a lot, nor have I. But um, the title is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and like I said, the music's different. Miss Pat.
learned a new song, or at least learned a new tune to an old song. <laughs> so, and that new chorus that goes along with it. Take your Bibles, if you will, tonight and turn back again, if you will, uh, to John and chapter 5. Uh, we're going to finish the message that I started this morning. I only got through two of my points. Then never got to the facing the consequences part. And so we're going to start there and naturally just progress right on over into the passage for tonight, which is Matthew 12, verse 1 through verse 8. So you'll see two titles there, Facing the Consequences, and Is Your Faith a Blessing or a Burden? And you're going to see how all this ties together because the Pharisees and those religious leaders, uh, they were being very legalistic with the law, if you will. And we see that even in our day sometimes, people who uh, want to lean a little bit more to thinking that I've got to do things to earn God's favor, to do things to earn God's love, rather than, uh, and then there are others who go far to the other side also. It's a really a balance uh, in the middle is where we uh, should be and where scripture shows us that we are. So we're going to finish this section on facing the consequences. I will just touch and review real quickly uh, from where we were uh, this morning. So take your Bibles, if you will, again, uh, turn to John 5 uh, there. We're going to pick up, if you will, uh, with, let's just pick up with verse 38. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for what we've seen this morning uh, in this passage of, of the consequences that these individuals were going to have to face uh, because of their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah, as God in the flesh. And so, Father, I pray tonight that we will, as we said this morning, come to a, a more solid, rock-solid foundation in our hearts to be able to explain to others, to give, it a, to give an account, uh, a, a reasoned account even, uh, of our faith in Christ and and especially uh, of Jesus, who is God in the flesh, uh, as he explains here and defends here in these verses. So, Father, I pray that you'll lead us as believers to a closer walk with you, but use this passage and the passage that we're going to look at in Matthew to speak to our hearts that if we don't know Christ, uh, Lord, that this will, people will hear the gospel message uh, in this and come to faith in Christ through this. So bless your word tonight, not only the reading of it and the hearing of it, but especially the keeping of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You be seated. 
So let me just go back and recap, especially if you didn't join us uh, this morning in our morning services, that uh, we talked about how we answer to a higher authority. That was one of the the things that Jesus begins to lay a foundation here for, uh, that once we see his deity, once we see that he is God, his authority over us becomes obvious, and, and he reveals his deity and his authority in several ways. We talked about how Jesus does only what God can do. The things he was doing were only the things that God could do. And so uh, we saw in verse uh, 19 that Jesus doesn't do anything on his own. Everything he does is perfectly in concert with the Father's uh, work and the Father's will. Uh, And those verses also tell us that for whatever he does, uh, whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And so Jesus was saying, you see me heal a man, uh, but you tried to explain it away. And you said, because you wanted to say he's got no authority uh, over us. Because if you accept the fact that he is God, that these miracles came from God, then you also have to realize you have to be under his authority then because he is God. And so Jesus says that that's what you've done. He says, uh, what are you going to say when I tell somebody uh, to rise up from the dead? I mean, you've seen me heal people who are alive. What are you going to say when I heal and and raise somebody up from the dead? How will you explain that one, basically? And how will you avoid that clear, clear conclusion that I am God and you have to obey me? We saw also that Jesus receives honor. Only that, God, that only God deserves. Uh, only the true God is worthy of worship. And the only way to worship him is through Jesus Christ, his son. So the only way to honor God is to embrace that gift of mercy and grace and forgiveness that Jesus paid for us uh, on the cross. And we saw that in verse 23 and 24. And then we also saw that Jesus has power that only God can claim. Verse 25 through verse 29. Uh, he has power over all men. He has power uh, over our eternal destiny. And right now, he's the only one who who can give us life, giving life to those who are spiritually dead. Uh, But we also saw that the authority of Jesus also involves the calling of the physically dead back to life as he spoke that in verse 28 and verse 29. So all of that was to give evidence that Jesus says, All you got to look and and see is the plain evidence that's there. Here I am. I am God. But they said, he said, you've rejected that. So let me bring some witnesses uh, to share with you uh, that would give some account to that. So we have the witnesses uh, to his deity in verse 30 to verse 39. And he introduced four witnesses uh, there, leaving uh, the religious leaders without any excuse for rejecting him. We saw the witness of John the Baptist uh, and how John the Baptist was convinced Jesus is the Messiah. And we talked about how that at this point, the religious leader, uh, religious leaders that Jesus is talking with, they had heard John's message. They had, they knew what John thinks about Jesus. They know John's witness, but they rejected it. Uh, they had liked what John said before time. That's what he says in verse 35. He says, you used to go listen to John. You used to send messengers to find out what the prophet John had to say. You knew he was uh, in the likeness of, uh, of Elijah who had come to prepare the way for the Messiah. And, and that's all John the Baptist preached about. He preached about the coming of the kingdom. He preached about the Messiah who was yet to come. And so before Jesus came on the scene, that's what he was preaching. And they liked that message. And they were very excited because they realized it's about to happen. The Messiah is about to come. But when John pointed to Jesus, as we saw uh, in the passage this morning, as the Messiah, they didn't like that much. 
Uh, Jesus didn't fit their image of what the Messiah would be. And so uh, he didn't come in riding on a white horse to, to overthrow the Roman uh, Empire. If you go back and look at their history, even before Jesus comes, there had been uh, several who had risen up and tried uh, to do that. And, and individuals had thought, maybe that's the Messiah. But uh, John the Baptist had proclaimed that and, and he was fulfilling scripture here. And so we see that when Jesus comes, he doesn't deliver them from the Roman oppression. He comes and he overthrows the money changer tables in the temple. And he begins to expose them for who they really were, the religious leaders. And that's when they decided, I'm not listening to John anymore. Not because his message changed, his message was still the same, but because their comfort level had changed. Uh, John was that lamp that was showing them the path, guiding them in the right direction. John wasn't the destination. And that's what we saw, that a lamp is not the center of attention. The lamp simply is shining the way to something else. The lamp serves a greater purpose. And eventually, a lamp burns out. Now, we think about a lamp that we might see today, but these would be just a little handheld lamp, a little uh, earthen vessel that they would fill with maybe some olive oil and just put a, a, a cloth into it like a wick, and that's what they would burn. Well, eventually, that's going to burn out. Uh, and, and so the verb used here in those verses describes John's ministry as all in the, the, pres the past tense. Uh, he has borne witness. He was a lamp. John's life and John's ministry had served a purpose for a time, but eventually it ended. And the point we needed to realize from those verses this morning is that we only have a short time on this earth to impact people for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus reminded them that they rejoiced for a while in the message of John, but they stopped rejoicing. And the reason they really stopped rejoicing is because they really weren't genuine believers to start with, because genuine believers wouldn't have stopped rejoicing in the light. We saw the works of Jesus that he presented. He said, look at the miracles uh, that I've done in verse 36. If they didn't believe because of John's witness, surely they would believe because of the miracles that Jesus had done. Uh, the coming of the Messiah would be marked by miracles and, and by signs and th that could only be attributed to God. There was nobody who could explain uh, these miracles. And Jesus, uh, he walked like the Messiah. He talked like the Messiah. He did works that only the Messiah could do. The only logical conclusion was Jesus is the Messiah. He brings the witness of God the Father in verse 37 to verse 38. The Jews hadn't seen God. They hadn't heard God's voice. So how could they possibly know what, God's, what God wants? The only way they could know him is through revelation to, the, to them. And God was revealing himself uh, through his messengers, through his works, as we saw even at the end here, through his word. So to doubt the claims of Jesus was to disregard God's revelation uh, of himself. You know, denying the deity of Jesus is basically uh, where you're setting yourself uh, and what they were doing, setting themselves up as greater than God. We know better than God. Uh, it is to exalt your opinion over God's. And that was a frightening place to be. And then we saw the last witness that he brought is the word, the words of Scripture, that in, in many ways you can boil the teachings of the Old Testament uh, down to two main themes. The first theme is that man is hopelessly uh, rebellious and unable to save himself. 
And then the second message of the Old Testament is, that runs throughout that whole Old Testament is that because of that, God made a way and, and began his plan and his purpose in setting forth his plan for a Savior to come. And, and so it all boils down to this and, and those witnesses that if Jesus isn't God, then he couldn't have paid the penalty for our sins. And if he's not God, it, we wouldn't be able to have his righteousness in our place. And that if Jesus isn't God... We would be without hope, but thank God he is God Almighty. Which brings us now to the consequences in verse 38 to verse 47. So Jesus warns the religious leaders here about the serious consequences of denying his deity. So I want you to see the consequences of denying his truth. Here's one of the consequences that comes out of them denying his deity is that your interpretation of scripture will be wrong. Your interpretation of Scripture will be wrong. So look at verse 38 again down to verse 40, 41. He's talking there about uh, you do not have his word abiding in you, the Scriptures. Uh, you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the Scriptures, speaking of the Old Testament, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Uh, he said uh, that I do not receive glory from people. He, he's saying here, if, if we read the Bible and we don't worship Jesus Christ as the one true God, then you've missed the point of the Bible. You've missed the point of Scripture. The whole Old Testament is pointing forward to the Messiah who would come, who is Jesus. The point of the whole New Testament is to point us back to Jesus and to what he did on the cross for us. That's the primary purpose of Scripture, is to point us to Jesus. And, and, and many devote a significant amount of time and effort to studying the Scriptures, and, and yet they fail to see and to understand and, and to lift up Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They fail to see Jesus in Scripture because they misunderstand the purpose of the Bible. I can tell the number of people that, that get so bogged down in, in, in eschatological things and end time things and, and, and numbers and what does this mean and that mean and they miss the whole point. Uh, that's why we're going through the study we are in Revelation uh, on Wednesday night to, to help us not to miss the point of the book of Revelation, to not miss the point of what the whole of the Bible is, is saying to us. You know, some think that the Bible is just a book of ancient stories. Uh, others think that the Bible is a book of moral lessons, uh, that it's a book of virtues. Still others think that the Bible is kind of like a driver's manual. It tells you to turn here. It tells you to yield over there. It tells you to stop uh, when you reach this line. It tells you how to navigate through life. Some people think that the Bible is a book of rules uh, telling you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And the Bible certainly does have rules in it. And they show you how life works best. Other people think that the Bible is a book of heroes, uh, showing you people you should copy. And the Bible does have heroes in it, but, but a lot of those people, uh, they made some big mistakes in their life, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid. They run away. At times, they're downright mean even. And so the Bible isn't just a book of rules or a book of heroes or a book of moral stories and things that we ought to do in our lives or not do. The, the, it, the Bible is, is all those things, but it isn't just those things. It's so much more. The Bible, understand, isn't mainly about us and what we should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. 
So many miss the promise of God to send a Savior, to, to rescue us from our sin, that we don't see the fulfillment of the promise in the person of Jesus Christ. There are many today who are still looking for the promise to be fulfilled in someone else. And if you're at that place, you've missed it. You've missed everything. Everything in Scripture serves as a sign pointing us to Jesus, either in the Old Testament pointing us forward or in the New Testament pointing us backwards to Jesus. Uh, the second thing we see here, the consequences is, is that you can't love God the way you ought to love God, the way you should love God. So look again at verse 42 and verse 43. He says, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Now, that's pretty strong. For, for Jesus to say, I know your heart. You don't even have the love of God in your heart. He says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. So understand, if you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, it's impossible for you to love God the way you ought to love God. You can write uh, songs about God. Uh, you, can, you can go on mission trips. You can feed the poor. You can give money to the church. But if you don't worship Jesus as the one true God, you cannot love God the way you ought to love God. And if, if one of your children, think about this, was, was completely, constantly disobeying your, your instructions, directly defying everything you said, would you believe them when they said to you, I love you? If all they ever did was they were disobeying you, they were rebellious, they never listened to anything else, when they said to you, I love you, would you believe them? No. You'd probably say, you don't love me, you only love yourself. And so their actions reveal their heart's condition. So Jesus is saying about these religious leaders and even about those who, who reject Jesus as, as the Messiah, that he says that these who claim to love God reveal a lack of love by their refusal to believe God. It's in their actions. In other words, as we have always said, the proof is in the pudding. The actions don't match what they say. They say they love God. They say they have surrendered to God, but they won't believe what God is telling them. Jesus is the Messiah. They're unwilling to accept him as the one God sent. Four times in this passage, Jesus describes himself as having been sent by God. Verse 30, verse 36, verse 37, and verse 38. And yet he was being rejected by those who claimed to love God. He was being rejected by the religious leaders. Their love didn't match up with their lives. If they loved God, then what Jesus was saying, you wouldn't receive these false prophets while you're rejecting God's son. In other words, you'll receive somebody who comes in his own name, but you won't receive me who comes in the father's name. We can claim we love God. But if we don't listen to what he says, and it shows that we don't truly love him if we don't do what he's commanded us to do. Our disobedient actions are, are not an expression uh, of our love towards God. In fact, love is more than just speaking it with our lips. Love is seen in our actions. And the proof of love is not what we say. It's what we do. You may think you love God, but the question for us tonight is, where's the proof? Where's the proof? You need to think about what would prove your love is true. 
Maybe you look at your works and you think, well, I give money in the offering. I, I go to church. I pray uh, three times a day before meals. I try to do the right things. Therefore, I love God. Think about this. Didn't all the religious leaders do all that? Sure enough. And yet Jesus said about them, you don't love God. There's no love for God in your hearts. The only proof of your love for God that matters is your submission to Jesus Christ. And so if you refuse to submit to Jesus as Lord, if you deny his deity, then you can write all the poems that you want to God. You can give all the money you want. You can do all the good works that you want. None of that matters. You cannot truly love God if you refuse to submit to Jesus Christ as God. And that's where a lot of people are in our world today. They want to they have the blessings of Christianity and mix that with some other uh, false beliefs. And so we see here, uh, thirdly, in verse 44, that you can't honor God the way he deserves. That's a third consequence. So your interpretation of Scripture is all wrong. You can't love God the way you should love God. And another consequence is that you can't honor God the way he deserves. Verse 44 says... How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? These men were more concerned about how they would appear to others than they were about the glory of God. They weren't willing to humble themselves and to believe on Jesus and to submit to his will. Sometimes we even today care too much about what other people think about us. Uh, they were, these people, they were making decisions based on what others might think, what others might say about them. And sometimes that's what we do. They wanted honor from others. Isn't that what we do? I mean, think about this in our, in our social circles. Think about this. You may be there on Facebook. You may be there on Instagram. You know, so often uh, we present an image to others that uh, everything in our lives is going great when it's really not. The religious leaders, and we're more concerned about what others think about us. And so the religious leaders in Jesus' day, uh, they could spout great truths about the glory uh, of God uh, or whatever else in the scripture. But when it came down to it, they were more concerned about being honored by men than they were about being honored by God. So when we hold on to the truth of the deity of Jesus Christ, it's very humbling. If you embrace the gospel message, you're admitting that your life is so messed up that God's son had to enter this human race in order to fix your life. In order to believe the gospel, you have to admit, I'm not righteous. I'm not good. You have to admit that you're a sinner and, and that you desperately need a savior. You see, the sad testimony of these men is that they liked flattery, more than they like truth. They swapped God's salvation for man's admiration. Uh, what a terrible trade. Because if you were to examine the focus uh, of your life, if you were to put the focus of your life, what's the focus of your life? If you were to put it on a graph, would it look like you, you were aiming at getting the applause of men, getting man's appreciation? Or would it show that you are looking for God's approval? 
The only way to honor God is to humble yourself and to admit that he sent his only begotten son into this world to rescue you. You cannot deny the deity of Jesus and still honor God as he deserves to be honored. And that leads us to our fourth consequence is that you cannot avoid judgment. That's what he's saying to these religious leaders. He's not saying this to to the lost pagans out there. He's not saying this to those people. They already know. They're they're already bound for for hell. He's speaking here to church folks. He's speaking to church people. He's speaking to religious people. And, And so notice verse 45 down to verse 47. He says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Who accuses us to the Father? The devil does. The devil's our accuser. Jesus says, don't think that I'll accuse you before to the Father. He says, you've already been accused. There's already one who accuses you, Moses. Now, who is Moses? What is Moses that he's speaking of there? What he's talking about is the Scripture. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking especially about those first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's speaking of that section that they held so esteemed in their lives. And even, they even added to all the laws that were in those, in those books. And so he says, here's the one who accuses you, the very one you're putting your hope in, in Moses. He says in verse 46, for if you believed Moses, if you truly believed Moses... You would believe me. Why? Because he wrote of me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So he gets at the very core here. And this really stings for them because that, that is like uh, anathema to them, if you will, uh, to say that, that Moses, those first five books of the Bible, is standing in accusation against them. The very books that they sought to, to, to follow every jot and tittle uh, of the law. And, and so rejecting Jesus Christ is going to bring the religious leaders here in this verse under God's judgment. In verse 45, Jesus is telling them directly, you will stand accused before God but I'm not going to be the one who's going to accuse you. Moses is. And you will make your defense. You'll say to God, well, we held to the law. We obeyed what Moses wrote. And what he's saying is God's word is going to judge you guilty because Moses wrote that we are sinful, that we are rebellious, that we need a Savior. That's what the whole Ten Commandments is all about. They show us what it means to obey God, and they also show us what, each, uh, what we each uh, fail. No one has worshipped God alone. No one has loved his neighbor like himself. No one but Jesus. Jesus is the one who fulfilled the law perfectly. Moses wrote that a promised deliverer would come. The Son of God would come to redeem his people from their sin. And these religious leaders who put their hope and their confidence in what Moses had written, they missed the point of what he wrote. How often we miss the gospel in the Old Testament. That's what he was writing about. He was writing about Jesus Christ. He was writing about the coming of Jesus. And so in spite of all of their religious training, think of that, as religious leaders, they had gone through years of religious training. These men had misplaced their hope. Their hope was in their own righteousness. If I can just keep X, Y, Z, I'll be good enough to get into heaven. 
I'll be good enough for God. Their hope was in their own righteousness. They were trusting in their own commitment to, to reading and obeying the scriptures. Understand this, hope in anything other than the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sin is a fool's hope. The sad verdict of their lives is given by Jesus back in verse 40 when he said, Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, the only way to have eternal life is to come to Jesus. And the only possibility for the person who rejects Jesus Christ is judgment. So if you deny the truth about Jesus, your consequences are not going to be happy consequences. And you won't understand the Bible the way you ought to understand the, the Bible. You won't love God the way you should love God. You won't honor God the way he deserves to be honored. And you will not avoid his judgment. But if you embrace the truth about Jesus, then these consequences become a blessing. And you avoid judgment. And you will honor God the way he deserves. And you will love God the way he desires. And you will understand the Bible because you're understanding it through the lens of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible will come to life when you begin to look through the scriptures as you see Jesus on every page. So that leads us into our passage in Matthew. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 1 through verse 8. And the question then comes for us, is your faith a blessing or is your faith a burden? If your faith is in keeping the law, it's going to be a burden. But if your faith is in what Jesus did for you, living that perfect sinless life, dying in your place, being resurrected from the grave on your behalf, then your faith will be a blessing. So your faith should not be a burden to you, but a blessing in verse 1 through verse 8. And so I want you to see here some things. I want you to see the disciples' actions in verse 1 of, of chapter 12. Uh, notice here what happens. Because it continues on with that religious keeping of the law, thinking that's what will earn you favor before God. So at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. So notice what they're doing. These, they, were, they, had, they were walking through this field, walking through the grain fields, and here's this grain. They've been on a journey. They've been hot and sweaty. They're hungry, uh, and here is food. It's the Sabbath. They, and so the grain they were eating, uh, that they were eating there was the Lord's. The Sabbath that they supposedly were breaking that we'll see here uh, in just a moment in verse 2 uh, was the Lord's. Whose Sabbath is it? It's the Lord's Sabbath. They hadn't broken the law. Who is this that's eating? It's the Lord and his disciples. It's his Sabbath. And besides that, the Bible gave them permission. When you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 25, uh, chapter 23 and verse 25, it says this, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, is that the picture of what these disciples are doing? Sure. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand on the Sabbath, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So, so think about it. If they were right, if these religious leaders were right about Jesus breaking the Sabbath, 
And, and, and what were they doing? Think about this. They had to be following Jesus, didn't they? They were walking. His, they were following him and his disciples. If they, were, if they were saying, Jesus, you're breaking the Sabbath laws, well, get this picture. The, the Jewish religious leaders had added to the law themselves. And their own law said, you can't walk more than 1,900 steps on the Sabbath. You're following Jesus and you're accusing his disciples and him for eating and you're breaking your own law that you said you can't do on the Sabbath to walk over 1,900 steps. So they're, they're making an accusation when they themselves are sinning if, if you follow their, their logic and if their logic was, was right. Uh, notice what verse 2 says in the accusation. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Where in the scripture did it say you couldn't pick a head from the grain and eat of it? It said in verse 25 of chapter 23, you can't put the sickle in. You can't go out and harvest it like you would go out and work. But if you're just walking through your neighbor's uh, grain field, his standing grain, you can pluck the ears with your hands, but you shall not put a sickle into your neighbor's standing grain. And so here was the accusation. They, they come to Jesus rather than the disciples. Uh, Exodus chapter 31 verse 14 says this, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, shall, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. When you look at the laws that the Pharisees had added to the Sabbath, they had added about 39 laws to the Sabbath that weren't in the Bible. And the third one was that you cannot reap on the Sabbath. So they were going by their own law to say that his disciples, you're doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Not God's law, their law. Jesus would go on to say in Matthew 23 and verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They're not willing to keep the law that they wrote themselves. They're just twisting it, manipulating it to fit their circumstances. So notice the Lord's answer in verse 3 through verse 8. So he said to them in verse 3, notice his illustration, his illustration. He says to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? What do you mean, Jesus? Oh, you remember the story? You remember how, verse 4, how he entered the house of God and he ate the bread of the presence, the showbread, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So he says, remember what happened there. So even if we got rid of all your man-made laws that you've added to this, God's law said that the only persons who were to eat of the showbread was the priest. And so Jesus brings this up to say, uh, here, the showbread on the table uh, would be 12 loaves on the table every week. Uh, they would take it off, but it was sacred for the priests only. 
It was consecrated bread. It was only to be eaten by the priests. And yet we find in that story in the Old Testament that David and his soldiers eat it. Now certainly the son of David had a right to eat his father's grain from his field. If the priest... The priest is the one who had to allow him to eat the bread. If the priest allowed him to eat it, if David broke the law and wasn't condemned, Jesus is saying surely Jesus could break man's tradition and be guiltless. So he uses this illustration of, of David eating of the showbread in the temple to say, see, here's what even David did, even with God's law. Then we see his instruction in verse 5 down through verse 8. He says, or you have you not read, so he gives him another illustration here, some instruction. He says, or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temples profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So you see in verse 5 the principle of the Sabbath for the Jewish people. The priests had to offer a given number of sacrifices on the Sabbath. And yet in doing that, they weren't breaking the law. So he's saying if you want to get legalistic about this thing, let's break it down and look at the priests. They're having to offer sacrifices. That's work on the Sabbath and they're not breaking the Sabbath. In fact, their service was in obedience to the law that God had given. And, and, and so this tells us that man's traditions about the Sabbath were wrong because they contradicted God's own law. Understand this about the Sabbath, what was in the Old Testament Sabbath, that the Sabbath wasn't given to be a noose around their neck. It was given to be a blessing to their lives. It was given to be a blessing to their lives. God gave us the Sabbath as a day of rest. Our bodies need rest. Our minds, our heart, our soul needs rest and needs to have a day at least that we are set aside to focus on God. And so notice the preeminence over the Sabbath. You see that again there in verse 6 down to verse 8. He says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. You're so caught up in, in looking at the building and so caught up in who's keeping this and who's doing that. You're missing the big picture. Notice Jesus appealed to the prophet, to the priest and the king. Why? Because he is prophet, because he is priest, because he is king. Notice also the three greater statements that he makes. Here in verse 6, he says that he is greater than the temple. And then if you'll see as prophet in verse 41, he says there is one greater than Jonah. Jonah the prophet. And as king, we see in verse 42 that he says there is one who's greater than Solomon. One of the greatest kings that had ever lived. And so in declaring himself Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus was actually affirming equality with God because God is the one who had established the Sabbath. God knew we needed a day of rest. 
There was a photographer who was taking pictures of first graders at an elementary school one time, and he was making some small talk with the kids to put the kids at ease as, as, as they would take good pictures. And so he asked this one little kid, he said, what are you going to be when you grow up? And the kid said, I'm going to be tired. Because <laughs> that's what he had always seen in other people. Some of you are saying, I'm there already. I'm not retired. I'm tired. <laughs> And so, see, in requiring uh, more than God required, they were presuming to be God. They were presuming, well, God must want us to do this then. God must want us to do that then. And so they began to add hundreds of laws to the Word of God. Now, we as New Testament believers, we don't observe the Sabbath. That was for the Jews. We observe the Lord's Day. And so often we have, we have added to observing even the Lord's Day of rest. We've said you, you can't do this, you can't do that. Uh, don't make the Sabbath, don't make even the Lord's Day a burden. I mean, I can't imagine myself not having Sunday. I can't imagine not going to church on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I can't imagine not going to church uh, on Wednesday night even. Uh, the Bible says this in Psalm 122 in verse 1 when David the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There's a lot of people who feel like going to the house of the Lord is a burden rather than a blessing. I want to tell you it's a blessing for me. Even if there's one that shows up, even if there's none that shows up, we had some services where we had none that shows up during covid uh, I can't imagine not having church. David was saying, I look forward to this day when I get to spend it with God and spend it with God's people. Why? Because there's a refreshing of your spiritual battery, if you will. There's a bringing of the family together. There's a teaching to children of what is really important in life when you set aside a day for God and for his worship. And incidentally, every Sunday that we worship, Every Sunday, we're remembering that Jesus Christ is alive. Why did the early church meet on Sunday? To celebrate the fact that Jesus came out of the grave on that, on that first day of the week. Every Lord's Day really is Easter Sunday. And, and so where else would you want to be uh, on the Lord's Day than, than in church? You know, mom and dad, our children uh, should know that, that your worship on Sunday is more important than your work on Monday. You'll never teach your family a greater lesson than that. We need that day of rest. We need a change in our routine. We need a mental change. We need a, a break and think about what's really important in life. We need a physical change. We need to get out of the office. We need to get out of the school, the factory, the store, whatever it is, and get into that new environment where we can be encouraged by other believers. We need a spiritual change. We need to be in a church where God's word is preached and taught and where we can fellowship with other people who believe God is important too. Jesus is the one that gives not just your body rest and not just your mind rest, but your spirit the rest of knowing that when you know him, you will spend an eternity with God. And that's the greatest rest of all. Don't miss the point 
of what Jesus is saying here and all what we saw back in John and in here, that it's all about Jesus. Does your faith bless you or does your faith burden you? I pray it's a blessing to you and that you love Jesus with all your heart and that you love others truly as you love yourself. And the only way to do that is to know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this rock-solid giving of the evidence here of how we can know that we know that we know that Jesus is God. And Lord, I pray that if we have been at the place in our life where maybe we have been rejecting Jesus and his lordship over our life, maybe we've not done it so much in words because maybe we're just like these religious leaders who would say, I love God, but our actions aren't anywhere near what we're saying. Father, I pray that we would examine our hearts and our lives and may the light of the truth of your word illuminate us and shine within our hearts to help us to see any dark crevices of sin. That you would bring all that sin out into the light that we might confess it, that we might repent of it, turn away from it, and that you might fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit to go forth living in the, in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Father, I pray tonight that we would realize that your word and your laws and your commands are not meant there to be a burden to us. They're there for a blessing. And so, Father, I pray that we would look at your word and your truth in the light of what we've seen today, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And that in spite of who we were, and in spite of who we may be even now, God the Father loved us and sent God the Son to die for us. And God the Son died and was resurrected on the third day and ascended into heaven so that he could send the Holy Spirit to indwell within us. So, Father, I pray that we'll feel and experience and live in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, Lord, that you will grow, help us to grow in that walk with you as never before. Not seeking to please men. Not seeking to keep a set of rules and regulations for sake of keeping the rules. But, Lord, to honor you and to love you, not only with our words, but also with our lives. We surrender ourselves to you. We submit our will to your will. And we ask you to save us if we're lost. And we ask you, Lord, to, to empower us if we're saved, to walk that walk and to live that life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation number 542 in loving kindness, Jesus came. Would you make your way and come? If you're there online, would you just respond there online and we'll follow up with you.
online and you made a decision, you prayed, you want follow-up there, just let us know in the comments and we'll follow up there with you. You can send us an email to highlandbaptistullahoma at gmail.com and we'll respond to you there also. But thank you for joining with us tonight. We'll see you back Wednesday night in our study in the book of Revelation at 6 o'clock. Again, for choir members, we'll have choir practice afterwards. Uh, So you have a blessed week and we'll see you this coming Wednesday. Thank you.